Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Glenn. Hello, everyone. Uh, Glenn, I loved what you said about I can do hard things. That is 
powerful. And Larissa, thank you for finding stillness for us in that beautiful breathing exercise. That was incredible. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for Glenn and Larissa. Once again, I'm going to briefly reset the room. You are in the Breakfast with Champions, the Millionaire Breakfast Club, and we're here to bring motivation, education, and inspiration starting at 5 a.m. Eastern to uh, from Monday to Friday, uh, 6 a.m. on Saturday, and Club 111, our worship service on Sunday, live on Clubhouse. And there's really no other space where more than 80 thought leaders across various industries and backgrounds come together with the goal to pour into you and to see you succeed. Now, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, we invite you to spread the word. You know, if you've benefited from something or something someone said, an insight, a principle, a learning, chances are that someone else might need that too. So I encourage everyone to head on over to breakfastwithchampions.live, grab the link, subscribe to the podcast, pick a favorite episode and share it to a friend or a team member and share it on socials so that we can reach even more people and collectively multiply our impact. All right, so let's get going. My name's Ram Castillo. I'm based in Sydney, Australia. Professionally for the last 16 years, I've been practicing in the space of human-centered design, creative strategy, digital marketing and branding. I've done so for the likes of Ogilvy, JWT, McCann. Previously, I was the design director for DDB and heavily serviced McDonald's as the main client and Audi. And most recently, I was the head of digital design for Saatchi & Saatchi in Australia, servicing Amex, Qantas and Toyota. And today in this segment, I'll be speaking about design thinking as a problem solving tool. Now you're probably thinking, you know, why would I pick this topic? Well, the overarching topic today is here's what wealthy people know and do. And the idea that I'd like to invite you to all explore with me in this segment is this, that wealthy people always find a way. Wealthy people always find a way, especially when the majority would rather give up and even more so when the odds are against them. As I mentioned, I'll be speaking about design thinking as a problem-solving tool. You don't need to be a designer. In fact, it's better that you're not. It's both a philosophy and a tool that has served me and many of the most forward-thinking, innovative and successful people that I've come to know and brands that I've come to help develop in the world. It's a philosophy of putting humans first at the heart and center of our decision-making. It's a philosophy in that solutions are constantly iterative and it's a tool in a way that reverse engineers a desired outcome informed decisions putting people first so if we explore this idea that wealthy people always find a way then you might be thinking yeah of course but it's easier said than done ram <laughs> so the part two to this is how how do we find a way now, a quick flash of the mics for those on stage. Would it be okay for me to unpack a little about design thinking as a problem-solving tool, a tool to help us find a way? All right, all right, all right. Just uh, getting you all ramped up for this. We're going to dive into it now. So before I share this, it's five stages, okay? It's a five-stage method of design thinking. We need to identify and acknowledge our baseline. 
we've got to ask this within ourselves, first and foremost, how ready and open are we to receive this? Do we currently operate from a place of solving problems or do we actually add to the problem? Do we see obstacles all the time or do we see opportunities? You see, the world is not in a shortage of problems. The world is in a shortage of problem solvers, action takers, explorers, leaders, diversity and inclusion, connectors. One of the most powerful benefits of Breakfast with Champions, my point of view here, in my opinion, is that it empowers each one of us to the point of action. Now I'll say that once more. One of the most powerful benefits of Breakfast with Champions is to empower each other to the point of action, to inform each other and to give each other access. Access to what? Empowerment how? Well, that empowerment might come from the form of a question, a challenge, a way of thinking, a principle, a framework, a story, a lesson, a strategy, a tactic. And when we feel that friction within us, it's probably knocking at the door. What is your worldview that's being challenged? And is that current worldview going to get you to where you want to go? What is your current operating system? What are the current thoughts and beliefs that lead and govern your current behavior? Do any of those need to change? So I invite you to take whatever you need from the Breakfast with Champions well, as I'll be sharing a very practical method today. I'll dive into it now. And it's a universal design thinking method. I'll include some frameworks and tools as well. And it might help you design better products, services, businesses. It might even help you design your life. It, this is all applicable to anything to impact your wealth and well-being. So feel free to grab a pen and paper, a digital notepad if that's easier. Uh, I'll be running through this quite fast and in the, the entire sequence with a decent amount of detail and examples so that you can cling on to practical examples to help connect the dots. So I'll do that for the next 20 minutes or so and then we'll dive into some Q&A. So if you have questions, I'll ask you to flash the mic later uh, with the time we have left. So the generally, the universal design thinking framework follows uh, this flow. There's an understanding phase, exploration phase, and then there's a, the materialization phase of that. But to break it down, as I said, there's five main phases, and these are the five that I'd like you to, to start to absorb. There's the empathy phase, so we empathize. There's the define phase, we, we define the problem. There's the ideate phase, so we come up with ideas. There's the prototype phase, where we start to bring an MVP or some type of minimum version to life. And then there's the test phase, where we test it into the world. So I will pull this apart. The, the, the idea behind design thinking as a definition is to really just keep it human, to keep the person in mind from beginning to end and to leave people in a better state before their interaction with you or your product or your service, your business or your brand. So this isn't a strict prescribed method. It's, lin it's not linear actually, it's fluid. 
it's not uncom uncommon to jump between these steps as well. So let me break down the first one, empathy, empathize. We need to understand the user or the person that's interacting with us in the world and the problems that they face by conducting interviews, we can create empathy maps, we can listen to user stories or human stories of the people that we want to help. So ask in the empathy phase, first of all, and again, you might apply this and things might start bubbling up in your mind, you know, should I apply this to my, my, my side hustle, my business, if you work for someone else, maybe a project, an initiative in the company that you're in, it doesn't matter. Just start thinking about who you want to help. What are their challenges? What are their needs? I mentioned the empathy map. For those of you that are unfamiliar with that, that's okay. It's simply this. You, 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 you get the group together, even two or three people of who you're targeting, and you're asking them what they're thinking about a particular scenario that you want to help make easier or a problem you want to solve. What are they thinking? So there's a thinking column. Get your post-its out, you know, right. What might I be thinking in this scenario? You know, what might you be thinking? You're asking the, the people. What are they feeling? What are they saying? What are they doing? What might they be hearing? What might they be seeing? Okay, so this is the basic empathy map. You can Google it. There's plenty of different uh, examples of that. But that's a very common tool. Another tool that you can use under empathy to help you draw out an empathetic point of view is simply pains and gains. You have a column asking the person, what are you feeling as painful? And what are you feeling as something you'd like to gain? What would you like to gain in this scenario that you're currently not getting? So we need to get to know the person or the cohort of people and their circumstances. And we have one goal in, the, in this first phase of empathy. It's to understand. Now, I'll give you some examples. Uh, you know, uh, for, for lack of a better one, there's, there's Walmart, the founder, Sam Walton. Uh, I love this. He, he actually realized that there is an opportunity to put a massive store in the middle of almost nowhere. And there's plenty of interviews about Sam and, and he, he basically decided to um, put most of the Walmart stores in the middle of nowhere. And the question is, what was that customer insight? And he arrived at this and he found this out through speaking with people. He understood that th there was a highway system that had improved uh, greatly in the US. And uh, that was because of the Eisenhower Highway Bill. And now customers and people were more comfortable to travel long distances to go to a shop or a supermarket. Uh, and then also it was cheaper to ship products to the store. So he realized all this. He realized that if he was to build uh, a store in a, in a, in a further more, more uh, empty space, um, he, could, he could create more demand from what was already moving in that direction. He had no competition as well. And that was the, the foundation of Walmart. Uh, one of the examples of one of the most loved brands, of course, is Apple. Uh, but I, I wanted to, to, to really highlight this. Um, there was a, a time when the iMac was being created and uh, one of the stories that I love was when Steve Jobs called a meeting and said that he, he parked the launch of, I, of the iMac and he said that we're going to do four colours. Four colours, they said. 
all the left brain people in the in in the uh, in the company were against it. They they said this is nuts. Four colors. They said this is going to increase our inventory. It's going to create problems with forecasting. So many problems are going to come out of this. Problem, problem, problem. It's going to delay the launch. What's the big deal with colors? And Steve Jobs actually said, well, we're going to do four colors because colors are the way people express themselves. Simple as that. It makes the computer more of a personal asset. It also reflects their identical personalities. And these colors now looking back, imagine that conversation. These colors now looking back played a critical role in the success of not just the iMac, but the entire Apple range. So a big part of customer insight and putting people at the heart is really this quantitative research, this customer insight involves going deep into building empathy, understanding the, the people's point of view. Too often we're designing experiences for ourselves. If you look at Ikea, they created not just a, a furniture shop, but a destination. Heck, I go there for the meatballs. Now, my local Ikea here in Sydney sells salmon. Goodness me, they sell the most delicious chocolate mud cake too. You know, and the way that they've designed it, granted it's bloody hard to get out, you know, pretty, pretty fair, but it's almost, it's, it's genius. And not to mention the modularity of their product, which is a whole other thing. And so I'm emphasizing empathy because we often don't ask and go deeper into the problem. And that is where the solutions are. There's a story that I share all the time about oranges, three people arguing for the oranges. One was yelling at the other and it got pretty intense. And when the question was asked, well, what do you want the orange for? Three people arguing over oranges. One said, I, actually, I just want the orange for the juice. One said, I wanted it for the skin because I want to make uh, fragrance and oils. And one wanted it for the seeds. <laughs> so we've got to really go down that path. One of the projects that I really uh, wanted to share, which was most meaningful in my design career, is I was uh, the lead designer for New South Wales Transport. It's uh, New South Wales Trains. So the brief was a dream brief. It was design the next 10 years of the New South Wales uh, train system. And for those that might be unfamiliar, Sydney is the city with which New South Wales is the state. And it's like saying, obviously not to that degree in terms of population, but design the next 10 years of the, of the New York subway or the London Underground. So I had the opportunity to work in New South Wales Transport's um, project for this. And one of the things that we identified was no one was using the trains or hardly anyone was using the rural trains, trains out in the middle of nowhere. Some of these were 15 hours away, could you imagine? And the organisation said, oh, we know why. So here we go. They've introduced assumption. They've introduced bias. They said it's because no one's working there full time. There's no like human manned staff, they said. And we can't afford to, to pay for someone to work there and be in the train stations of these rural local towns in the middle of nowhere and pay them, you know, 16 hours uh, plus uh, per day. 
And I said, well, hold on, let's just go there and ask them what the situation is. Let's speak to the community. And you know what we found? <laughs> they, they, they were indeed uh, hesitant to use the, the stations in the middle of nowhere. Who wouldn't? They, of course, were scared. They didn't trust being there. But the solution wasn't what they thought. All we needed to do was we needed to increase lighting in the train stations because it was so dark and we needed to implement CCTV footage and a sign, a big ass sign that said, so that 24 hour surveillance, okay? 24 hour surveillance and that's all it needed. And it didn't cost, it, it, it cost a fraction of what they thought. And so implementing something like that one of the things recently, I, I, I volunteer at an organization that feeds the homeless here in, in Sydney um, once a month. And you know what was interesting as an interesting insight? Again, we're still on empathy phase here. But one of the things was that when I first volunteered, it's, it's like under this bridge uh, in this outskirts of the city in Sydney. And you bring a plate or container of food and drinks and you just donate whatever you can and the homeless line up and they have a meal. And so at first I brought, I was like, oh, you know, let's give them some sustenance. So I just brought the, brought like easy, you know, grab and go salad type of thing, right? Simple salad. Nah, they didn't want it. Uh, then I brought, okay, let's maybe something delicious like spring rolls. So I brought spring rolls, mm, half a hit. Yeah, maybe. All right. Some of them did like it. Some of them didn't. And the third month that I donated uh, food and served them out, uh, I brought boiled eggs. Boiled eggs. And you know what? It was the fastest dish to go out. Gone. Literally gone in 60 seconds. Everyone grabbed one, two eggs. There was not, no eggs left. I think I had like 100 plus eggs. No joke, right? And then I asked one of them, I said, mate, you really like that egg? And he goes, yeah, it's delicious. And he goes, uh, you know, it's, he, all he said was, we don't have the luxury of boiling an egg. Such a simple insight, such a simple insight. We don't have the luxury of boiling an egg. And from that point on, obviously, and this is just, I've given you some examples there. So I really want you to, to cling on to the importance of empathy, to really go deep into what are their challenges? What drives a person? What are their friction points? Why do they want something and they, they currently can't get it? So we move on to the second phase, which is define. And we are basically organizing and analyzing this information that we got. We researched, we, we, we spoke to people. Okay, now we've got some research, we've got some data, qualitative, quantitative, we've got something. We've got what was said, you know, we've, we've, we've noted down what, the empathy map, thinking, feeling, doing, saying, okay, cool, we've got all that. But now we need to create a problem statement. And you might have a few. So we need to score and we need to vote with yourself or your partner or your team teammates. What is the most important problem to solve? So come up with problem statements. And what are our assumptions? And what are we're defining, okay, what is the correlation and causation? What is critical right now? Prioritization is key to the define phase as well. And I have to say this, 
we need to prioritize human needs or if it's a product user needs over business goals and this is where sometimes it gets flipped around it's all about the business it's all about the bottom line well no because actually if you focus more on the person what they need it will impact your bottom line better so we really need to define the third phase is ideate so ideate is as as you know where creating ideas with conceptualizes we're, we're conceptualizing we're brainstorming this is the brainstorming phase and one of the key things here is don't hold back imagine a better world imagine your wackiest ideas this is where and of course we pull back you know even airbnb it comes to mind they do an exercise where it's it's a design exercise where you ask what does a three-star, four-star, five-star service look like, okay? And then usually we stop at five, right? What does a five-star service look like? But no, they encourage, they, they encourage their design team to, to go further. What does a six-star look like? What does a seven? What is an eight? What is a nine? What is a 10? And granted, they pulled back. But one of the, I think that, that one of the not seven, eight or nine or 10, one of those high ones was, was um, you land at the airport and Bono picks you up and then you're greeted with a choir of angelic voices. You're then shipped and chauffeured with the most glamorous limousine and you're in your hotel and everything is sorted for you and you've got your perfect objects there. If you like surfing, that's already there for you. You've got your dinner reservation made, this, this, this right? And so imagine, ideate. Uh, I remember my first day at design college, which was many, many years ago now, almost two decades ago. And I, I, this has always sat with me. My teacher said at design college to everyone, here's the brief. It's to sell recycled water as safe to drink. And you have to come up with 100 ideas in 24 hours. Just quick sort of taglines, headlines, if you wanted to scamp a little, you know, uh, image to, to, to um, uh, support the idea as a visual show, but, you know, come up with like 100 ideas, 100 lines. And then everyone was like spent and exhausted, come to class the next day. And my teacher said to everyone, now throw all those 100 ideas in the bin. And I said, everyone was like what and the teacher said well it's because they're the first 100 ideas that everyone else has already thought of and so here's a here's a tool for ideation write these three words down how might we how might we has changed the trajectory of every business i've ever um been a part of Every, every business that I own and any, any business that I help with their branding and marketing and positioning in the, in the world, how might we dot, 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 however you finish that sentence can give you so much breakthrough. You know, how might we give people more control in the, in the buying process? You know, how might we create more trust? How might we reduce the clicks of this website from five to two, how might we get people to, uh, to, to, how might we communicate convenience in what we do or, 
or, or how might we build credibility? Start coming up with ideas. And we're still on the ideate phase, but one thing I'll also share is affinity mapping, okay? Affinity mapping. So uh, when you have all your ideas, you're probably thinking, oh, great, I've got 100 ideas now. What the heck do I do with it? Well, here's what you do. You organize them. You bucket them into uh, themes, okay, or groups. What are the natural relationships? If, if this idea is more about speed or this idea is more about comfort, then put those post-its or however you've captured them and start synthesizing and organizing them in an affinity map. Okay, the fourth phase of design thinking uh, is prototype. So we're basically turning ideas into a physical representation, um, something tangible. Now I granted some are digital products, sure, but something tangible. And you can do this in a few ways, but one way, is to pull apart an existing product, a competitor product. But the obvious one is, of course, to, to arrive at a sketch. So just quickly sketch the, con the, the, the concept. Do not be fooled by the simplicity of a pen and paper. You know this. Come on, there's so many stories of uh, a napkin, drawing the idea of a napkin from the opera house right through to a chair. The greatest solutions have been from pen to napkin for crying out loud sketch okay sketch now you move on to maybe digitizing or even at least mood boarding okay start to really bring us into that world of how this might come to life and again not just product but service okay you can hand make it if it is a physical product go to the local hardware store build stuff make stuff in fact it is so accessible now to I don't know, go on Upwork and pay someone 50 bucks to do a 3D printing model and then send that out. 3D printing is a very cost-effective way. But what we want to arrive at, right, is a physical version. And of course, if it is a um, digital product, let's say, you know, lots of people want to do education, course, digital course, uh, some online course of, of some type, create a bit of a trailer just if you can't sell with a with a video or capture an email for example with an expression of interest with a short 60 to 90 second video you know in effect that is actually a prototype as well so there's so many ways you can apply this the fifth and final is test all right we need to put the the prototype in the hands of the user and determine whether the product has solved the problem at hand and reduced friction or frustration here's a few questions that will help you and literally gather, in fact, it doesn't matter, two, three, four people. It doesn't have to be huge, but we need to start somewhere. And here's what you're going to ask them. You're going to ask them what worked well or what works well with what they're testing. Do this with your websites too. You know, This is hyper-practical stuff, but what worked well? What didn't work well? What questions did they ask? What ideas did they suggest? You know, it's interesting. I... I, I coach a lot of business owners and I sit on the advisory board for multiple companies and one of them is a, um, a coffee chain here in Australia and in the last board meeting I said to them you know how are we going with increasing repeat customers and they said oh look we've been trying that card thing I said what's that card thing well it's the the loyalty card the good old loyalty card with the stamping and I said okay so where are we at with that Okay, so the, it's the old 
coffee card, you buy 10, you stamp it when you buy 10 coffees, and then you get the 11th one free, right? It's very universal, very, very common. And then I said, well, let's test something else. So first we tested not getting a coffee for free. You get something better, like a, a bagel or, or a sandwich or something. That didn't really increase much uptake. Uh, so the uptake was about 33, 34%. Um, and we were wondering, why aren't people, they come here anyway, why aren't they getting their stamps? Some of them don't even stamp. They, they come, they just get their coffee and they don't want it. So what, what is it? And here's what we found. And here's what we arrived at with this concept, with this test, again, through this design thinking method. We changed the card from stamping 10 stamps to 12. Now you might be thinking, okay, there must be, you know, how is that better? Well, here's what we did. We pre-stamped two as we gave them out. So we pre-stamped two of 12. Now, if you do the numbers, it's the exact same thing as handing out the 10. The, 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 the stamping of 10 didn't work. What we did was we'd said, get 12 stamps and you'll get your 13th free and we pre-stamped two, right? So it's exactly the same, but we positioned it and presented it differently. And the insight and the hypothesis we arrived at was this, that people are more inclined to progress when they feel like they've already started. I'll say that again. People were more inclined, this is our hypothesis, that people were more inclined to progress and finish something if they had already started something. Now, in fact, IBM did this first. They had 100 uh, computers to sell for their target for each salesperson, 100 computers they had to sell back then, I believe in the 80s or 90s, right? 100. And you know what? No one was hitting their targets. No one. And you know what they did? They said, your goal is not 100 per day to sell. Your goal is now two. Just a test. And they not only all hit their targets, they built confidence because they had achieved, they had started, they've gotten off the mark, they'd accomplished something which primed them to succeed. You see, often we're in this room about you know, wealth and wisdom and, and, and about what do the wealthy people know and do? And you know what? They, they find a way. They are always tweaking and pivoting. They don't give up because, well, they couldn't sell this thing. And so this was a simple example with a coffee card, right? Um, and we are in this test phase. And one other thing I'll share for the test phase, the final phase here is, and then I'll give some, some additional examples, but it's a card sorting technique. So again, I want to give you practical tools that you can use today. And one of them is also a, a card sorting tool where it's uh, a research technique where you basically create a set of cards, okay, that represent a concept or an item. And you can use this in the test phase and just ask people to group the cards in a way that makes sense to them. Right? You can run this in three ways. There's an open, there's a closed, or there's a hybrid. And open card sorting is when participants sort cards into categories that make sense to them and, and label each category themselves. 
Okay, that's the open card sorting. The closed card sorting is when participants sort cards into categories that you've given them. And a hybrid is a mix of both. Participants can sort cards into categories you give them and can create their own. Now, I, I do this all the time and, and you can too. Uh, I, I um, sit on the advisory board for a company called Tomorrow Superannuation. They're a fintech company. And we were wanting to think of a creative way to label the investment packages. The investment packages. We wanted names like gemstones and 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 rainforest blah or whatever it was. And you know what? We were way off. <laughs> People didn't care about that. It was too abstract. And so this is my point. Get to the testing very quickly. And I'll and I'll say that again, right? So we've gone from Empathy, we're getting to know and understanding the user, understanding their worldview, understanding their friction points, their challenges, what do they want, what are they seeking. We then define, we've got a problem statement, we arrive at um, prioritizing uh, the, the most critical goals. We then move into ideation, so we start brainstorming a variety of possible solutions and evaluate each one. How might we dot, dot, dot is what I shared as a, as a wonderful lead-in statement that you can explore. Prototype, it's basically turning it into a physical representation, at the very least, a sketch, okay? It's plain and simple, a mood board, a slide that describes it. And then the fifth phase of the, des the design thinking process is test. So we put that prototype. And again, if it is a slide, put it in front of people straight away. Ask them. Ask them like, what, is, what do you think of this? What's good about it? Does this pull you or push you away? Is, yeah, and you can even have um, a, a bunch of slides. This is very common too. It's, it's association imagery. So you can have uh, an image of two images of adventure. One is out in the bush in the wilderness. Another is in beautiful blue ocean water. Wow, both are adventurous. Ask people, how do you define adventure? Is it this or that? This or that is another wonderful tool that you can use in the design thinking process. So um, I'm just going to share you a few other products. I'm going to zip through them, products and services, and then we're going to do some Q&A, okay? So if you have any questions, please have them ready. Um, there's a, a, a group in Deloitte. Uh, there's, sorry, there's this woman in Deloitte. She, she created this group. It's called the Empowerment Plan, and she turned it into a business, all right? empowerment plan. You have to look at it. I use this as an example case study because it's so powerful. They basically solved a few problems in the, the I think it was the Detroit area. And they wanted to resolve this problem of homeless women, specifically homeless women who have been abused and who have, you know, had, um, had, had, fallen into poverty and an addiction and, and all those things where, which made them difficult to get hired. So what she did was twofold. She created a product and a system to employ them. The product was, uh, was sleeping bags that turned into a jacket and a jacket that turned into a sleeping bag. All right. So it kept them warm through the day, but then it also, um, zipped and, and innovatively turned into a sleeping bag. Check it out, the empowerment plan. And guess who she gets to make them? The homeless women who wear them and who use them. It's a wonderful initiative and this is the power of design thinking. Um, 
I have had the fortune of speaking at Herman Miller. Um, we all know Herman Miller as one of the most renowned furniture companies. They've, they've made the Chase lounge chair, the marshmallow sofa, a whole bunch of different um, products. When I spoke at Herman Miller, I was invited to, to have lunch with the vice president. Um, uh, his name, uh, his name uh, escapes him right now, but he, um, he, it was a while ago and he said to me, uh, have lunch with me and, 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 and let's talk, right? So um, I said, wow, you've designed so many things even before Herman Miller. Uh, Gary Smith, there you go, his name's come to me, Gary Smith. He was previously the design director at Hasbro. He designed uh, G.I. Joe, Mr. Potato Head, My Little Pony. He literally, going back to the, the napkin and the pen, he literally drew them in front of me and how, how he, he created it. And now he's at Herman Miller and has been for many years now. And then he said to me this, he said, Ram, do you know what we do here at Herman Miller? And I said, oh, you make some pretty awesome furniture. And he said, no, we don't just make furniture. He said, we create life. And I said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, people know us for chairs, but we don't just make chairs, Ram, he said. He said, what does the chair do? And then I said, fill me in, enlighten me, right? He brought me to this place and he described the chair so profoundly that you couldn't help but understand and see the chair differently and the, and, and the appreciation of what it does. He basically said something along the lines of when you sit on a chair, it helps relax you after a long day. It brings you recovery from the stress of your lower back you're able to breathe a little more. You're able to relax that little more so that you can show up for your family, your friends. You're in a place that gives you life. And I was like, mate, <laughs> that was incredible. But he described a product and that is why Herman Miller are so successful. To be able to dissect and dilute down to that empathetic point of view he went on to describe a fork and i'm like oh my god a fork okay here we go give it to me he said ram do you know the most ingenious thing about a fork i go i don't know you can stab like steak or like whatever you're eating and not cut yourself and he goes partly but <laughs> he said when you when you put a fork down it's it's the tool to eat hygienically and it never occurred to me and this is he's speaking to me I'm, I'm a designer and he's speaking to me about this and it's just blowing my mind and if you now look at a fork as something that that curves out doesn't touch the, the touch the table again that insight came from somewhere now this quote has been done to death it's by Oren Harari and it's the electric light didn't come from the continuous improvement of the candle now, I'm partially, mm, I'm a bit iffy about that because it's partly true and partly not. But the, the point is that the electric light, sure, didn't come from the continuous improvement of the candle entirely. I think it did, obviously, uh, with knowing about, you know, bringing fire into the world and then using tools to, to spark a, a, a flint and, and then it developed further and further. But the point is that the electric light came from 
the iteration of what the candle provided. It provided light. And that is a key thing as well, that, that, that we need to problem solve by staying true to the intention, right? We shouldn't get caught up in the, in the tactics too much. Uh, there's always another way. In fact, if you look at HelloFresh, I've been trying HelloFresh right during the pandemic. For those of you that don't know HelloFresh, it's basically a, um, a, a meal, uh, a grocery packed um, meal cooking kit, all right? You cook your own meals. And one of the things that I loved from it was that, wow, they found something so like an insight of even shopping and then quantifying it so you don't even have to think about the quantity and it's for people in that gap who still want to cook but who didn't want to shop you know and there's so many examples uh, a friend of mine has released the product where it's a soap cube because he found out that soap is actually over 90 percent water and we used so much plastic in the packaging of soap and he created these dense soap cubes and you just add your own water and you reuse your existing bottles. Um, there's so many examples, you know, Shopify was created, Shopify, the wonderful e-commerce platform that anyone can now sell online easily without having to know the, the coding side of it. Shopify was created from a snowboard because the founders actually wanted to sell their snowboards. They actually wanted, to support their snowboarding business. But the act of building a better e-commerce store became a product because they wanted to sell their, their um, snowboarding gear. There's so many examples out there. Um, one of the, I'll, I'll bring you down to one and I'll, I'll do a quick Q&A whatever time we have left um, because we do have to end at 20 past. Um, uh, one of the businesses I started in the pandemic was uh, I, I was from this insight. I am in my mid-30s and I um, took up tennis because I didn't want to go to the gym. I was a massive gym goer, but I still am highly active. I need physical activity. I took up tennis, never picked up a racket in my life. And I hired some coaches, one of which was recommended to me. And he was a Spanish guy, lives in Sydney, grew up with Rafael Nadal. And I was like, mate, I want you to be my coach. Let's do it. And he said, you're into design and entrepreneurship. I want, I want you to coach me about that. And I go, let's just, let's just trade. I'll teach you this, you teach me tennis. And as I was teaching him, I said, we should really be applying these principles to something. Let's, let's just do a little project. I said, where in there is there a market gap? Now, granted, I've never been in the world of tennis, okay? And that's also a benefit. I'm not in their world, so I'll have a different point of view, just like you. You can mishmash all your experiences and you'll have, you'll see something. You're gonna have to, you know, look at around you and be more observant, but you'll find something and you're like, huh, that could be improved. So in this context, I realized that there's only one hour tennis lessons, private and one hour tennis lessons, group. And I said, there's nothing really after that unless you're a kid or a teenager and it's a one to two week summer camp type of thing. There's nothing really in the middle. And what I found was, I said to, his name's Andy, and I said to Andy, let's try this. Let's service adults, beginners, who have never picked up a racket, 
but who want to have a little bit more than an hour because they're time poor, but they just want to get in, learn the basics, go hard, and then go home, right? Three hours. Let's do a three-hour tennis boot camp for beginner adults in Sydney. We launched it on Eventbrite. Within 24 hours, it sold out. 10 players, 100 bucks a pop. Literally, it was just an exercise. We launched it again. We, we announced another date. That, that sold out within 24 hours. We're now 20 boot camps in, and we've built a Sydney uh, tennis community of 5,500 on Facebook. This all came from an idea that he didn't see because he wasn't the customer. And so there's so many out there. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have, um, have created uh, and been a part of McDonald's touchscreens in Australia. It initially started as a, a build-your-own-burger, right? And they wanted to amplify uh, the restaurant experience, literally. $10, $11 burgers that came in a wooden board, right? And you would sit there, almost fine dining. Wild concept, right? McDonald's. But you know what? It worked. But it only worked because there was the customization and we gave people control. And now these touchscreens, which were meant to be temporary, uh, are now permanent installations in McDonald's across Australia. So... There's so many things here. I'll, I'll, I'll park it there, but I just wanted to say before we go to maybe one or two questions or comments, but design thinking has changed my life and, and I know it can be a tool and a philosophy that, can, that you can adopt too. You know, four weeks ago, I shared my position that being rich doesn't necessarily mean being wealthy, that being wealthy is acquiring internal, internal treasures for external change the things that you overcome, your experiences, the pains that you feel, the things that you observe in the world, there is equity in that. You know, if you're a hairdresser, let's say, you're not just giving someone a haircut or a colour. You're actually providing confidence, a sense of dignity and respect to people that you are helping with their just so happens to be hair. If you're a mechanic, you're not just tuning a car and some maintenance. You're actually providing safety to people, to families, so they can go to destinations and create memories. You know, the list can go on. But I challenge you to pair the industry knowledge that you're in and experiences you've had with this design thinking methodology. I remember Anthony Robbins saying at an event here in Australia many years ago that really stuck with me. And he said, money is neutral. It's neither good or bad. It's actually an amplifier of who you already are. You know, did you know that... That statistics show that 70% of lotto winners lose or spend all the money that, they, that they've won. They did a study on this, 1 million to 500 million. 70% of those winners in five years or less lost all their money. Easy come, easy go, as the song goes. So I'll leave you with this. If you have a plan for yourself, you'll only impact yourself if you have a plan for humanity and putting people first, you'll impact humanity. So I now challenge you to start seeing problems as opportunities. Lead with putting people at the heart and center of everything, designed for, for what people actually need, not what you think they need. So where in your industry or market is there something that desperately needs improving? 
something that's being underserviced. You have an enormous amount of life experience and observed experience. Back yourself. Equity just built up. Don't let it go to waste. You know, the difference between an entrepreneur and a entrepreneur, uh, my coach uh, said to me recently, is that the entrepreneurs take an idea and they turn it into an asset and a business. A entrepreneur just comes up with ideas and more ideas and more ideas. They don't act. You know, there's that, there's that whole thing about a car exists. Not to put petrol in it. It needs petrol to run, but it exists to take us to a destination, just like a business exists. Not for money. It needs money. But a business exists to also have a purpose. It it is to move humanity forward in some way, shape or form. Because if the purpose isn't there, then the product doesn't matter. All right, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, everyone. Flash your mics if you have a question, a thought, something that you would like to share. I hear a mic on, on mic. Go ahead, please say your name. Hey, Dr. Sean, how are you? Good, good, man, good, man. This was great. Uh, Sarah and I were just like, chatting about the whole thing almost like everything was was just perfectly laid out and um i i i unfortunately have been driving around i've got kids and stuff like that so i've been in and out but i just wanted to tell you how much i appreciate it and how much i look forward to like going back and listen to the podcast of this because and i think that's one good thing about the podcast as i almost pulled my head in here um the uh the, the, that we can go back and look at these things and listen to them again and take in everything that we needed. So I'm looking forward to it. And I really appreciate what you shared this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sean. I really appreciate you. And uh, that's the beauty about the podcast for sure. So everyone definitely subscribe uh, to, to the Breakfast with Champions podcast. All right. Anyone else want to hop in, comments, thoughts, questions? Probably can go one more. I thought I saw Glenn. I could be wrong. GI has unmuted too. GI was flashing. GI. Hey, Ramon. Thanks. Oh my God. This was amazing. As someone, um, you know, who has a fashion design degree paid by the, uh, the air force. I loved everything that you, uh, stated. It was spot on. And, uh, you know, I was once asked, how do you use your fashion design degree? And uh, I, I like to think that it is, uh, you know, the design uh, factors that you mentioned. And as, you know, everybody has their own, uh, I call it strategy for success. And I would say that, um, you know, you described to us many things that we can use. And uh, I, I was just inspired to think bigger, farther, deeper, and uh, in, in my personal design strategy. So I thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michelle G. I, and look, uh, I'll just end on this. There's a lot there. Okay. And, and the point is to just take one thing, one thing first. And that's also a design principle, you know, pulling something apart and, and, and finding what is the most critical thing for now. Uh, and, and when we talk about, you know, wealth uh, from a financial point of view, um, you know, sometimes we can get too bogged down into uh, what others might be doing or how it's been done. But I can, I can honestly share to you now, you know, there's even the insight that you have 
it might not be fully formed yet. And so maybe the challenge is to, to go deeper into that and, and bring other voices in. You know, there's a difference between lived experience, shared experience, and observed experience. Bring those voices in. And this is what I always uh, really try to um, evangelize, that a lot of the times when you're stuck, it's because you haven't gone deeper into the problem. And too many of us run away from problems. You know, so I'll end it on that. Um, you know, the, the key thing that I wanted to share with you today was that wealthy people always find a way. Thank you so much. Big love, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.